Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Thank you for being here today for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, we got a really interesting show lined up for you today. In, in a little while, you're going to hear a conversation that we recorded um, a few days ago with Steve Coonan, the president and CEO of the Atlanta Hawks, and Derek Schiller, who has the same titles for the Atlanta Braves. They're part of a for the four professional sports teams in Atlanta that have all come together to support sports betting, the legalization of sports betting in Georgia. It's going to be one of the big issues of this legislative session. And we wanted to give uh, Schiller uh, and Coonan an opportunity to sort of set the table for us, tell us why they think uh, sports betting is a good thing to bring to the state. Um, and, of course, they'll make their argument in an extensive interview and um, – And we will, of course, in the weeks ahead as we follow the issue, you'll hear plenty from the people who think what they want to do is incorrect. So we're going to get to that in just a little while. But, you know, overnight, so much important breaking Georgia political news. We want to start with that. And to help me on that, uh, Stephen Fowler, GPB Radio's political reporter who's been down at the state capitol, is uh, with me for the first uh, section of the show. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing? Doing all right, Bill. Uh, Thanks for uh, being here. Uh, Let's start with the big news. Uh, We have uh, Representative Doug Collins. Congressman Doug Collins is coming into the state capitol. He hasn't arrived yet, or has he? I'm not sure if he's here yet. He's He's here for the memorial service for... State House Rep. Jay Powell, who passed away a couple months ago. Exactly. But uh, uh, his visit coincides with uh, a story that started breaking last night. Tell us about what we think Doug Collins is about to do. Well, Doug Collins in the next few weeks or so is going to formally announce that he is going to run for Georgia Senate against current sitting Senator Kelly Leffler in a special election. As if as if we don't have enough to cover, uh, uh, Stephen, this, this is an extraordinary announcement. It, it isn't as if some people didn't think that he would possibly do this. Let's let's explain all. Let's back up a step and talk about what's happening here. So we know and, and I'll ask you to weigh in as we go, Stephen. So we know that uh, Governor Kemp set up this process months ago in which he offered people the opportunity to apply for the seat that Johnny Isaacson was vacating at the end of 2019. He would, uh, the governor would have to appoint someone to fill the Isaacson seat until a special election would be held. And, uh, and so we waited for months to hear who Kemp was going to choose. One of the people who applied for that job and made it very clear he wanted that job was Congressman Doug Collins. Uh, Instead, Kemp went with Kelly Leffler. She is a successful businesswoman. She has a a history of working in on a farm, so she's you know thinks she can capture rural voters. She, most important, she's wealthy and pledged to put twenty million dollars into her race. She did all this, um, or rather, Kemp did all this, despite the fact that uh, President Trump had made it clear on several occasions that he wanted Kemp to appoint Doug Collins. All right, pick it up from there, Stephen. So we look at Kelly Leffler's appointment day, December 5th, 2019. On that day, Collins4GA.com was registered, and Doug Collins had told others that, you know, he would have to think about it. Well, he's thought about it. Uh, I guess Kelly Leffler has not performed her senatorial duties in a way that Doug Collins thinks he would perform them. Uh, you've got impeachment happening where Collins is a vocal manager for the president's case, and Kelly Leffler is a silent, impartial juror at this point. And you've got Collins being, uh, I guess, cultivated and thinking that he is going to enter into this race. And so interesting developments over the weekend. Um, Kelly Leffler's announcement that she's having a campaign staff being hired, 
Leffler also sent out a tweet attacking Mitt Romney, who she gave nearly three-quarters of a million dollars to, comes at the same time that Doug Collins is calling some of his uh, closest friends and people saying that he is going to run. And then that brings us to Monday morning or Monday afternoon. There's a bill in the Georgia legislature that would allow the Secretary of State to officially set qualifying for special elections. The original focus of that bill bill is for (laughs) is for Democrats to basically have to pick a seat, whether they want to run against David Perdue in that primary race or run against Leffler in a special election. That bill was changed to add this provision that would change Kelly Leffler's race from a November special election to a May special primary followed by a special election in November. Yeah, let's be clear on that part of it because it's an important consideration here. Uh, The way that that the Secretary of State's office has set this up is that all candidates, Republicans and Democrats, who want that Isaacson seat, now the Leffler seat, would run on the same ballot in November in a special election. Uh, That tends to favor uh, the Republican because if there were a runoff with all the candidates who might be on that ballot, Republicans tend to win that kind of runoff. Now... Collins supporters in the House are fast-tracking a bill that would establish that both Democrats and Republicans who want that second seat in the Senate would have to run in May primary elections. That would pit Kelly Leffler against Doug Collins and anybody else on the Republican side who wanted to get into this race. And because conservatives are not quite convinced that Leffler is one of them, no matter how she tries to spin it so far, uh, that tends to favor Collins. This is becoming an extraordinary election year, uh, Stephen. Right. And what that does is that if this bill, which, by the way, Governor Kemp has threatened a veto before yeah. it's even made it to the House floor. Right. If this bill were to go into effect, what that would do is it would be five less months that Kelly Leffler has to spend money to boost her name recognition, a campaign in the state. And like you said, the advantage would go to Doug Collins, who people know, and he can campaign. You know, he's on TV talking about impeachment. And so moving that timeline up would you know, favor Collins. The interesting thing is that Democrats are also on board with this bill. Uh, What that would do, Democrats would have to run in the primary. So Mm -hmm. say if somebody like a Raphael Warnock announces he is going to run for Senate, there's a primary race in May that knocks off all of the other peripheral candidates. And then in May, you know, the four people that are running for both the David Perdue seat and the Kelly Leffler seat and you don't have to worry about diluting the vote and forcing a runoff in January of 2021. So, yeah. Now, here's what's really fascinating. Aside from everything we've already said, uh, that, that's fascinating, Stephen. The other thing that's really interesting here is that a Collins run, which would likely attract a lot of conservative support. Look, Collins has been one of the great champions for President Trump. His conservative credentials are impeccable uh, beyond President Trump. Um, his race could split the Republican Party of Georgia right into the Kemp forces who want to support the governor's choice of Leffler, the conservative Republicans who would rather see Collins in there. I mean, this could cause great turmoil in the Republican Party. I'm looking forward to hearing some of the Republicans who are going to try to argue that it wouldn't do that, but I don't see how that's avoidable. Well, you know, one thing it would do, I think with Collins running, whether the election is in November or in May, is going to, you know, open up a little bit of wounds. But if the May primary were to happen, it could rip the Band-Aid off and then give five months for people to get over the sour grapes and coalesce around them. Because at the end of the day... If there's only one Republican on the ballot, there's only one Democrat you know, on the ballot th- as well. I, I, that's a, I'm sorry to jump on you, but you just said something I hadn't thought of that's really smart. You know, in some ways, uh, that may Kemp might do better if he can get Leffler across the finish line in a May primary. What you just said, in fact, might accrue to the favor of his candidate, Kelly Leffler. That's a really interesting observation. Right. And so, you know, if you have this bruising battle happen in the span of the next few months, once qualifying is in March all the way to May, it's going to be ugly. You know, feelings are going to get hurt. There's going to be some division. But then from May to November, you have one candidate to rally around and one mission, which is to keep the seat Republican. 
And so, you know, this is going to be an interesting sideshow to the already contentious legislative session where we've had budget <laughs> issues. Yeah. You know, the governor's budget priorities are different than the legislature's priorities. But now, at least in the House, some of those priorities that are already uh, differences between the governor and the House may have a little bit of flavor of bitterness added yeah. on top of that. All right. Um, Stephen, thank you for unpacking just some of this uh, for us. Um, we've got to get to our interview with uh, Schiller and Coonan, but I'm really glad you're down at the Capitol for a big, big day down there. I know you'll be reporting th- today about how Collins is received when he visits with his old friends, all right, because we remember that he was a member of the Georgia House, what he has to say to you and other reporters about this possible bid. So we'll look forward to your reporting throughout the day. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks, Bill. Um, all right, let's do this. We're going to take a break and then bring you our conversation with Schiller and Coonan. I do want to make one quick point. Tom Faust uh, reminded me I need to say this. We recorded this conversation before Uh, the tragic uh, death of Kobe Bryant. So while we're going to you're going to hear Steve Coonan, the president of the Atlanta Hawks, who is already with the Hawks, paid tribute to Kobe on our program today. um, Don't don't expect to hear anything about that. Uh, We recorded this just before that took place. So let's do this. Let's take our first break of the show. And when we come back, we'll jump into our conversation with Atlanta Hawks President Steve Coonan, Atlanta Braves President Derek Schiller. Peter Sagal here. We here at Wait, Wait, Love the Fox Theater in Atlanta and are delighted to be coming back. Join us at the beautiful Fox Theater on Thursday, March 12th. Right now, you can receive your tickets before they go on sale to the public. Here's how. Go to gpb.org slash wait, wait. That's gpb.org slash wait, wait. And thanks. Support for GPB comes from you, our listeners. And the Georgia Historical Society, sponsors of the 2020 Trustees Gala, featuring the induction of Robert Brown and Bob Jepson. Saturday, February 15th at the Savannah Convention Center. Details at georgiahistoryfestival.org. And Cigna, urging people to take control of stress by having a plan, a period of time to unwind, a location to de-stress, an activity to enjoy, and a name of somebody to talk to. Cigna, together all the way. Learn more at cigna.com slash take control. We're really glad to uh, have with us uh, today uh, Derek Schiller. He is the president and CEO of the Atlanta Braves. And Steve Coonan, who is the president and CEO of the Atlanta Hawks. Thank you both so much for being here. And Kevin Riley, uh, my partner on the Tuesday shows, the editor of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is here with us today, too. This is a subject we've both been looking forward to talking about, Yeah, Kevin. yeah. I'm glad to be here, Bill. And we've got probably the two best people in town to talk to about this. Well, yes, and we're going to get to how the four major franchises in Atlanta, how you have all come together uh, to support uh, a sports betting bill uh, at the legislature. I, I want to just do just a really brief background on how we even got to this point. So almost two years ago, it was May of uh, 2018, that the United States Supreme Court overturned what was called the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act, which prohibited states from authorizing sports gambling. It's interesting that Senator Bill Bradley of New Jersey was one of the sponsors of that initial legislation. And of course, he's a former college and professional basketball star. Uh, He thought the law was needed to safeguard the integrity of the sport, which is interesting in in terms of the conversation we're going to have. But here's what the court said that I think is interesting. They said, quote, it is as if federal officers were installed in state legislative chambers and were armed with the authority to stop legislators from voting on any offending proposals. That was Justice Samuel Alito who wrote for the majority. And he went on to say a more direct affront to state sovereignty is not easy to imagine. So, Kevin, two things. Number one, uh, the Supreme Court uh, found uh, for uh, the dissolution of that law on the basis of state sovereignty. And second, 
it opened the door for states across the country to begin exploring whether they wanted to legalize sports betting. Right. And, and of course, I mean, depending on your point of view of it, it could be a very lucrative thing, could be a dangerous thing. But uh, I think what we're going to find out in our conversation today, what pe- when people think about sports gambling and we talk about what the attempt to do, you know, what we're, uh, folks are attempting to do in Georgia, it's, it's different than the traditional point of view and the sort of things that have led to scandals in the past and the sorts of things that people tend to remember. So I think you, one of you would be able to tell me, am I right that, what, 20 states now have legalized uh, some form of sports betting? Is that correct? I believe it's 14 that actually 14. have it okay. going on right now. But others but, that are But there are, I believe, just under 20 states, 19, that have passed some form of legislation. And some of those states are obviously in the process of, of uh, putting that on the books and getting that going. So, um, Steve... You all came together, the Braves, the Hawks, Atlanta United, and the Falcons, four very powerful sports franchises, and decided to work as a coalition on this issue, this session of the legislature. Why? Well, last summer, we got together and had dinner, and it actually was the first time that any of us could recall the four sports teams getting together. And Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, was the first advocate for States' Rights for Sports Gambling, wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that really opened people's eyes because historically, sports teams and leagues were vehemently opposed to gambling. And so what Adam talked about, the great disinfectant, is transparency and sunlight, and that to bring this out of the shadows. In Georgia, we're estimated to have a $1.5 billion untaxed, unregulated gambling industry. And the four teams felt that by working together, we could speak with one voice and create an opportunity to both educate and excite Georgians on um, the opportunity of sports wagering. So it, 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 you could. Let's, let's clear up one issue here because we know where the opposition is going to come from and we're going to talk about that at some point. I mean – There has always, Derek, been a component of gambling which, even when people rush off to the casinos in Mississippi, Alabama, Las Vegas, there's this component of it that people aren't quite sure. They think it might be a little bit unseemly. They're not sure that it is as legitimate as we'd like to believe it could be. Uh, so how do you position yourself as a, as a major sports franchise to say, no, this is actually a very legitimate uh, uh, activity, and uh, we support it. Well, um, it's a good question. And first of all, I'd, I'd really want to point a difference between the casinos and sports betting. These are two completely different issues, and they have their own arguments for and against, right? So what we're specifically advocating for is just mobile sports betting. Right. And we can get into, you know, why we say mobile, for instance, in, in, a, in a minute here. But in our particular case, what we believe is happening, and Steve mentioned it, is that it's already going on, right? And so we're not necessarily creating something that's not already here. You're basically trying to regulate an industry that is already happening and taking it out of the shadows, out of the corners, bring it into that sunlight, as Steve talked about, and and really trying to put some regulation behind it and insist upon the integrity being the central component behind why we actually are all here to begin with. That integrity piece is ultimately the core of what we all agreed to first and foremost, is we need to make sure that at the heart of this, we protect the sports, we protect the way in which um, they're conducted so that they live on and you know create great things for our communities and, and are done in the right way. So, St- Steve, you mentioned uh, the estimate of the amount of uh, sports betting that's going on, 1.5 billion, whatever, in Georgia. Do you and your team, do your teams have a way in which you can monitor how much betting activity is going on around your team specifically? Obviously, it's illegal in Georgia, but I'm assuming you're part of, of sports betting sites that have teams from all over the country where people can place wagers. Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, sports books have been the number one way that we could find about irregularities. There is significant amount of attention placed on every bet in multiple systems to look for 
things that don't make sense. And whenever there has been a scandal, usually, you know, many years back in college sports with Boston College, Vegas was the ones who uncovered it. They were able to figure it out because of seeing these irregularities. Fast forward to today's mobile age, one of the key tenets of this integrity alliance is using official data that the leagues provide because it's, I'll give you a great example. Um, in our game, if you hit a shot beyond the three-point line, you get three points instead of two for a standard basket. Many times during the game, many times during the game, a three will be called, and then on video review later in the game doesn't stop the game. Somebody's foot was on the line, a toe is on the line. It, sure. It's turned into a two. Without that kind of absolute perfection in the data, you're going to have bad results. You're going to have... People thinking they won that lost, people who think they lost and won, and you're going to have a little bit of chaos. So what we want is we want all the data to be provided by the leagues who have – we have data people at every one of our games Mm -hmm. um, who come in and they make sure official is official. A lot of the impetus of this really started with European League soccer. This is really what's kind of created the revolution that it's not the traditional over-unders, your team wins, my team wins, but it's a series of micro-bets on what's going to happen next. It's gaming. It's the gamification of sport. So, so, you know, one thing, too, that you touched on, Derek, is this protection of integrity. I mean, I don't know if average people, you know, who who would be listening to the show know what the teams have to do now to make sure there's integrity in the sport, like injury reports and all that. I mean, it might be worth explaining a little bit about, like, how how baseball teams, how basketball teams – are really held to a very high standard to protect the integrity of the game already. Sure. So, first of all, I mean, in each of the cases, of whether it be the Atlanta United, Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Hawks, or the Atlanta Braves, we each have a centralized, if you will, uh, system um, where there's a league body that basically oversees our leagues. In case of the Atlanta Braves, of course, it's Major League Baseball. And as part of that, there's a commissioner and then a whole set of people that are up in the commissioner's office that have a variety of different roles, some of which are, you know, like Steve said, things like ma- uh, making sure that uh, the games are conducted in the right way, the rules are followed, there's video replay systems in each of our cases in a variety of ways, there's data that uh, it gets done. I mean, speaking of data, obviously, in, in, in a sport like baseball, like ours, um, there's an enormous amount of data, and, and having – Having that um, centralized data collection person or people to do that is really a big component. I mean, baseball stats are everywhere. And in fact, you know, where this, where this also got its start, and Steve mentioned European soccer, um, but the other part about it is, is really daily fantasy games. You know, if you think back, before many of the states and before the Supreme Court case happened, um, two big companies started, DraftKings and FanDuel. And they were out there promoting these daily fantasy games. And a lot of what happened was this gamification of all of our games. Things like, you know, are you predictive types of things? Who's going to hit the next home run? Um, whether this guy is going to get on base or not. Um, all, in addition to things like over-unders and, and you know, wins, losses, and, and the basics. And so... Um, that is really a, another opportunity for us to create that engagement, which comes along with this. So, you know, first there's the set of rules, and then there's the insistent that they're followed in a systematic way, and then it's making sure that it's done consistently and in the right way in each of our ballparks, venues, um, and and you know, there's a whole system to that that each of us have that's centralized. That's that's really important. So, actually, once once sports betting became legalized in some of these states, there was almost a greater insistence on the leagues and the teams to make sure that the integrity was protected. Um, Everything from, as I mentioned, data, but all of the different components of the game. We really have to look after ourselves to make sure that, that nothing funny is going on with any of the games. So let me go back again, if I could, real quickly. Uh, Can you right now identify how much wagering is going on on a given Atlanta Braves game, on an Atlanta, uh, 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 any of the Atlanta sports uh, games, the Hawks. The... So nationally, no. Okay. Um, we can make some really good 
Okay. Um, predictions that's about fine. that? Yeah, that's fine. I think or, the leagues have some legal. good estimates. Right. We can know where it's legal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah okay. Sure. Yeah. Um, so let, let's get something out of the way that I think is terribly important. It is my understanding that as you advance this measure, the legislation that you are going to su- support will not put money in the team's pockets directly from the sports betting. Is, is, is that, and, and why not? I mean— don't you want to profit from this uh, directly? Well, or is it just the indirect engagement with the or, game that matters Or more? is it because, you know, getting gambling legislation of any kind passed in Georgia is a little complicated and you've chosen a route that you think you can get it done? Or is it all the above? I can't think of a team in a state or a city that's going to be the house. I don't want to take okay. money from our fans <laughs> if they lose. And so, first of all, we don't do that. There's companies, William Hill, DraftKings, FanDuel, that do that. Second of all, what we're trying to do is keep an engaged fan and build lifelong fans. And the reason that gambling is proliferated in this country is because people enjoy doing it. It is a $150 billion market. Mm -hmm. Our benefit comes with engagement. If you're going to watch a Hawks game or a Braves game, or if you're watching Monday Night Football and the over-under is 40 and the score's 38 to nothing and nobody in their right mind would be watching, the ratings are as high as the kickoff because people want to see if they won their wager. And so we believe that um, our benefit comes from having a more engaged audience and the world is so rapidly changing. Traditional television, the way the four of us, 50-something and older gentlemen are sitting around the table talking, <laughs> is not the way young people consume life anymore. And the mobile experience has changed everything, and this is part of that. It is fascinating that the polling on, on sports betting, the, it's younger people who score it highest as something they want, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Well, now, if, if, you, if you accomplish what you really want, and I know that, you know, in the legislature that is not often the case of, for anyone, um, what, would it, what would it mean? I'm, I'm a fan. I come to the Hawks game. I've got my mobile device. Tell me what I can bet on. Tell me what, what the experience you guys are looking to create for me. It won't change in any way, shape, or form in the building, okay? But if you're a, let's say, the state will sell licenses. So let's say they sell it to Riley's, you know, Bet Kings. And at Riley's Bet Kings, I log in, and I decide I want to see if um, Trey Young will hit more than three three three-pointers in the third quarter. For our listeners, Trey Young is the star young point guard of the Hawks. Yes. um, Yes, he is. (laughs) Yes, he is. And so that would be their wager. But in the arena, we're not going to have windows where you bet or or anything that would be different. It's the whole idea is mobile. Whether I'm at the game or at home watching on TV. The the advocation that we're we're hoping for, right, is not only this – as we discussed before, the protection of the integrity. If it's going on, we want to make sure that it's done in the right way. We have other protections that we think should should be part of that, which we can go into. But then the experience, as is, is you're asking for and, and talking about, is we're specifically advocating for a mobile sports betting experience. And which so, allows for real-time it, wagering. We could wager on whether the pitcher is going to throw a ball or a strike, a fastball, a curveball, a slider in his next pitch. All of those things could yeah. happen in real time, correct? The, the, the latency of the phone would make something that immediate. You can't do it that very, I don't know. The Braves, it, okay. the, the, the Braves have that, that stadium wired like, you know. But, but so I'm, so I'm exaggerating the potential. commercial for Comcast is just taking Let me be clear. I'm exaggerating incorrectly the potential for that kind of real-time wagering. Yeah, let's let's okay. st- let's start. Big, Thank you. Let's start big picture, though. Big, big picture is by advocating for mobile sports betting, um, we're also saying that it can be geofenced into Atlanta, or excuse me, into Georgia, rather. And so essentially what that means is anybody in the state of Georgia, whether you're in Atlanta at the game, or whether you're in Valdosta, uh, as long as you uh, are on that site that is geofenced inside of the state of Georgia, you will be able to place a sports wager on not only our games, right. for that matter, any games in professional sports. And, and, and 
when you so do, you actually go through whatever experience, whatever sports book it is that you decide to do business with. Who you do business with has no – it's no bearing to us. We're not – we're not getting in the middle of that, as Steve said. We're not as as it's called the handle. We don't participate in that. We don't get a take of that. We don't get any percentages of that. There is no direct revenue coming to the teams, and we're not asking for that, nor do we want that as part of so this. So directly, what's in it for you? Well, there's there's two things, right? One is, as we've talked a lot already, is ensuring that the integrity is done the right way and that the, all the other uh, processes of, of the betting happens in the right way and it's taken out of out of the shadows number two is and we've mentioned this but it's the engagement so you know when there are more people that are are able to do this legally in taking out of the corners and the the pool halls or whatever else they're doing in order to currently bet on sports um, we can engage with them in ways that are much more uh, detailed than what they would currently have. So, I, I, and I'm afraid of how this will come out, so help me. Part of what I think you're saying is, hey, every team has that game. The Braves are up 12 to nothing. I'm mm-hmm. at the game, and, you know, you're concerned because maybe I'm not going to stay because we don't, we don't have a no-hitter well, into the seventh inning no, and now I, I can bet? Or no, is it I mean, some... I, I suppose there's a part of us that would hope that you would stay, of course, yeah. if, if you've, if you, whether you've bet on that or not, right? right? I mean, we want you to stay for the experience. But I think that those, those people that are currently wagering, we think that there's an engagement opportunity um, to get, their, get them further enriched and engaged with our, our sports. All right, let me, I'm sorry, do you want to finish that? Yeah, Go ahead, I, 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 I want to set the record straight. Right, that's what why we're competing for today is time and attention. Young with pe- everything else. With everything. Young people yeah. watch Fortnite more than television. Right. 18 to 34-year-old TV consumption has gone down 60% in five years made a good choice getting out of TV five years ago. <laughs> uh, but it is drastically, just like you've seen newspaper consumption. Right. We believe, based on seeing success around the country, that having this available makes our sports more attractive to young audiences. And that'll make them maybe not play Fortnite, maybe not, um, you know, go online and do something else. So it's all about time. So let's look, by the way, just so our listeners know, when you talk about getting out of TV, we should say that Steve Coonan was the major force behind putting TNT on the map, making it the uh, extraordinary television venue that it has become over the years. And, and as you say, you finally got out of it and went over to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, all right, let's start talking about some of the hard questions about this. So, number one, to the best of my knowledge, and you all can tell me if I'm wrong, the, the there is not yet a a bill that's been perfected that's going to be introduced. But I assume your organization is working to, to help draft the legislation. But it's not there yet. Is that right? Yeah, but there's a model that we love, yeah. and it's our neighbor called Tennessee. Yeah. Tennessee has done exactly what we're talking about. And when border states start doing these type of things, we saw with, as a native Atlanta, and we saw with the lottery 30 years ago, you know, the exit for Calhoun in Tennessee and Chattanooga, you couldn't get off on the interstate. There was so much backed up traffic. So we are looking at the Tennessee bill. But again, we're not legislators. What we want and, and which is key for us is that official data is used. So there's no discrepancies. OK, you both know I'm not <laughs> telling you anything you don't already know. There's going to be some fierce opposition out there. Uh, you talk about 30 years ago, Steve. I remember very well what Zell Miller went through when he tried to put lottery in place here. Uh, he won the election as governor in many ways because of the of the lottery uh, measure, especially because he wanted it all earmarked for, for education. Uh, but when it came time to vote on the referendum, the amendment that would put it in place, he got very, very strong pushback, and it came close to making his reelection more problematic than it ought to be. So I assume that some of those very conservative forces, people like the Faith and Freedom Coalition, Virginia Galloway, who represents them in Georgia, has already been uh, uh, talking about how uh, uh, she is going to oppose this bill strongly. She said to the Atlanta Constitution at one point, uh, didn't Pete Rose get expelled from baseball for gambling? You're going to face... Uh, 
backlash from conservatives and maybe from people who had the same concerns about lottery, which was it encourages gambling among people who don't have the money to gamble. Yeah, sure. I mean, the Pete Rose reference, first of all, that's confusing the issue completely. I understand the, the reference. I, I think you're right, but, yeah. but she's going to be saying that out there. No, it's, it's possible. <laughs> let's, let's try to help people that are listening. Let's help, help make sure they understand it. First of all, there is already a lottery in Georgia. You, you've went back and gone through some of the history behind that. The fact is, if somebody wants to play lottery games in the state of Georgia, they can do so today. Right. And in fact, one way that, that could happen with this, dependent upon what the politicians believe is the right methodology, is to actually utilize the legislation that exists for the Georgia lottery and go through the Georgia lottery. And obviously the beneficiaries of that would be all the lottery beneficiaries. So, you know, that's that's something that's a potential mechanism, as, as Steve said. Ultimately, that's up to the legislatures to, uh, to, to decide and to debate. But if you're out there listening and you're not a sports fan, you don't come to our games. There's not many of those, by the way. But if you are one of those people <laughs> that don't come to our game, don't love the Atlanta Braves or the Hawks or the Falcons or United or whoever – and you're saying, well, why am I listening? Why do I care about this issue? And, and the simple answer, beyond all the things that we are advocating for, the, uh, the types of engagement that we're hopeful for with our fans, uh, the, the, the ways in which this should be done in the proper methods and ensuring the integrity of the game, more than anything, it's the fact that this is going to create taxable revenue for the state that can support a lot of different programs depending upon what the politicians decide. Which, and Kevin, right now is a winning uh, a proposition given that Governor Kemp continues to uh, pound away at the fact that the state desperately needs new revenue. It's one of the reasons why measures like this, casinos, and even horse racing are suddenly uh, uh, bubbling up in a more uh, prominent way than even in the last few years. I know that these two guys didn't plan on timing it this way, but the <laughs> fact that they're, this has come up during a legislative session where there's a search for more revenue and, a, a, and this talk of cuts probably works to your advantage. Um, but you know, it's interesting, Steve, casinos and horse racing have been in the picture here for years. Brandon Beach, Senator Brandon Beach, was just on the show, talked about the fact he's been advocating paramutual wagering for seven years. Your sports betting, the notion of sports betting just certainly snuck in in this, in this most recent year, really, and has started to dominate the conversation in many ways. I think there's a couple of reasons. First of all, it just was approved by the Supreme Court as you opened this broadcast. And second of all, ours is not, ours is purely opt-in. It's not a physical presence. It's not, it's not something that's part of the landscape. A lot of the arguments have been it creates this, it creates that, it creates a criminal element. None of that applies here. There is no credit. If you can't afford, then you're not gambling on sports. And so uh, most of those arguments quickly fade away because this is purely opt-in. There's no physical presence to it. It's happening. Casino gambling is not happening in Georgia today. Sports betting is. Horse racing is not happening in Georgia today. Sports betting is. So what we're saying is take the behavior, license it to legitimate companies, tax it for, on the winnings, and regulate it, which is a windfall of money we're seeing in New Jersey $335 million of revenue. Well, the only thing I would I would take a little, little bit of exception with is that the, the pro-casino forces, as you know, they say the reason that it's an, it would be great to have it here in Georgia is they talk about all the church buses heading up to Cherokee, North Carolina, or heading to Alabama and Mississippi to gamble. So, so there is that part of it. But you are certainly right that sports betting doesn't require the kind of infrastructure, no. the kind of buildings that would in and of themselves, Kevin, be symbols, perhaps, for and many that's people. Been the argument. Right. In fact, I yeah. mean, you, you could go yeah. at it that way. And, right. and I mean, I think that, that that's part of the case that you're making and uh, part of the decision you made. I mean, the reason it snuck up is because they've made this choice in terms of how to do it. And I mean, it, it is unusual for the, pro, the four pro sports teams to get together on something. It's astonishing. When and, I first saw the news you all were getting together, I, I well, thought maybe it was about and to And don't end. forget, win or lose, <laughs> um, whatever our columnists write, whatever 
never happens. I mean, most people love the local sports so, franchises. So here's an interesting so. thing that you're going to face. Um, there are those who believe, and maybe you two have, have been working on, on getting to the bottom of this, casinos and paramutual wagering would absolutely require a constitutional amendment. There are those who believe that if you were to just legalize sports betting, partly because of that Supreme Court decision, you might not need a constitutional amendment to put sports betting in place. Is that your understanding? Is, Is that open for debate? Well, everything's open for well, debate, no, but I mean, we wouldn't should... be sitting here today. Um, but we believe that if it's another game through the lottery, that it's constitutional because the, this is a lottery game. Our proposition is that it's managed by the lottery, licensed by the lottery, arm's length away from us, and that it is another game. Now, I'm not a lawyer. Derek's you're not a lawyer. No lawyer. No lawyer. No lawyers in the room. <laughs> so I don't want to opine with a legal point of view, but what we've been hearing from experts is this is very different. And again, we're not advocating gambling in Georgia. We're advocating mobile sports gambling. Which could be part of your challenge, because if you talk to some like a Brandon Beach again on this show, I asked Beach, I said, look, do you want to introduce a bill that simply legalizes paramutual wagering? Somebody else can introduce a bill on casinos, another on sports betting? And he said, no. Our bill would say sports betting, casinos, and paramutual wagering, put them all together and simply say that voters will have a decision on whether they want those, whether they want gambling and those are the forms it would take. You don't really want to be in the mix with casinos and paramutual well, wagering. You don't want to try to you don't want to try to amend the constitution, the way, right? We, as a strategy. We, we, don't, okay. we don't think that we don't think that's fair for for those that are out there trying to understand these issues. They're they each have their own independent sets of, you know, pluses and minuses if you will and their own debates that they should have and I think, you know, having the merits of each one stand on their own, and in our case, mobile sports betting being evaluated on its own. I, I truly believe that the politicians currently looking at this are actually going to do just that. I, I'm very hopeful for that. You've mentioned Tennessee and New Jersey. So um, it, question one is, what is the best model from where you sit, and is how did they do it? Did they do what you guys are talking about, or, or, or what states are you looking at, or what's a model state that we, we've looked at, obviously, all of the states that currently have legislation out there. In the case of Tennessee, um, they did go the route of the constitutional amendment, but um, it was sort of a unique situation in that the governor didn't necessarily sign that, yeah. right? It was um, it was approved without the governor Does doing so. Does it need so. to? It's a constitutional amendment? Cor- correct, correct. Um, in our cases, as Steve mentioned, as we've talked about, the Georgia Lottery is a mechanism that already exists. We think it works really nicely in there. We think that's probably the best way for it to go. But there again, if, if um, those that are our elected officials want to debate the merits of doing it as a constitutional amendment, obviously that's not for us to decide. Yeah. We're here to show them why we think it works, the things that if you're going to do it, why you should do it, how you should do it, and ultimately – Having the four sports teams um, advocating for this, to your earlier point, is really unique and strong unto itself. You have some interesting uh, dynamics going on right now. David Ralston is a frequent uh, guest on this show. The last time uh, the speaker was here, uh, he, as he's done in other venues, said, you know, we have to look at sports betting for revenues. And he does the same thing you both do, points to Tennessee. So we really can't afford to have Tennessee on our border uh, uh, and and not in some way uh, counter that, compete with that. But I want to ask you another question. Kentucky is on the verge, is now on the verge of passing a sports betting uh, bill, too. It's moving mm-hmm. forward. You've probably tracked it. But here's one of the interesting aspects of that bill, I think. An amendment has now been attached, which would allow betting on the University of Kentucky and on Louisville uh, sporting events, would your bill outlaw, would you prefer a bill that did not allow for betting on college sports and just be on professional sports? Well, our, our alliance is called the Georgia Professional Sports Integrity Alliance. That said, that's up to the legislatures. You know, that, that's up to them to decide what the scope is. Um, we can only advocate what we manage and, and operate. 
So I, I do think that um, the, the veracity of college football fandom in the state of Georgia would probably, this would be a, good, a healthy debate, should it be part of. Um, I wouldn't make it all sports in college. I wouldn't make it anything but the two major sports in college. Football um, and basketball. Football and basketball. But the, that's just a personal Boy, opinion. Kevin, that would be an interesting component to this, and it would be sure to add to the debate around the, a measure. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it's— But I want to be clear. Yeah. Sure. We're advocating yeah, you want professionals. professionals. Yeah, that's fair, what we're enough. fair enough. We're neutral on the college yeah, side. Yeah, we're neutral. I, I mean, if, if they want to do that, that's obviously— I mean, it really comes down to, to these two things, which is, look, from a professional sports point of view, people are gambling on our sports. Correct. And unless—your view is unless it is done in a way that it's out in the open and regulated and the state can make some money off it, you're, it's only going to create trouble down the road. Right. That's right. And, and, and the other part about it is, let's not forget, there are 14 states that have it happening, 19 that have it approved, and the prediction is within three, four years, you're probably up to 40 states. And the likelihood is you're going to have neighboring states to Georgia that have this. So at some point in time, do we as Georgians want to be left behind in this issue? Well, that was my and next question. And leave the tax yeah. revenue on the side and have some of the other issues that continue to be there or work with you know, not only the politicians, but the other advocates of this to ensure that it's done the right way, that the authorities are measuring this the right way. As Steve mentioned, that people who can bet on this and want to bet on this can do so, but you're not doing so if, if, if you don't have the money in, in there. Um, so you're not betting on credit, for instance. It, all, those, all those types of things and the policing of that need to really be part of it. Because right now it's just the wild, wild west. Maybe we got time for one more question. Well, Kevin. if I went to every leader of every franchise in each of your sports, mm-hmm. would they all? Are they all behind this? Oh, yeah, we're all, oh, yeah. we're, we're all discussing this this issue at the league wide meetings, and and in fact, in in each of our cases, the leagues have positions and various information that they're helping us with all of you know the mm-hmm. types of things that we've talked about and informing the legislation that's being drafted in each of the states, which is probably why those states that have been drafted more recently probably have, I would argue, some of the better pieces of of bill writing that have happened, including and especially, as Steve mentioned, Tennessee. Steve, we're pretty close out of time. You want to you have any uh, final words you want to add to this? Well, I'm very appreciative of the forum because I do believe gambling is getting conflated Everything's being tied, horse race, casino. This is very different. It is very unique in the taking advantage of the technology of mobile in creating something that we're seeing great success. I, I will tell you um, a quick anecdote. There, there are parking lots right off in New Jersey, right past the New York border, that every NFL Sunday there is a wait to get into those. So people are going parking in New Jersey, going on their phone and their app, and legally wagering. They are leaving the state. And that's what's going to happen here to North Carolina and Tennessee. Um, Steve Kuhn and Derek Schiller, it's really a pleasure to have you both here. Look, we're going to be following this. Once a, leg- a bill is dropped, we'll watch to see what the language is. Uh, and we will certainly hear from both sides of the issue in the legislature moving forward. But but as a starting point, it was really a pleasure to have you both here explain uh, why you believe this is uh, something that would be valuable to your franchises, but to the state of Georgia. So thank you both for coming in today. Thanks for the thank debate. A new strain of coronavirus has killed dozens in China. The U.S. confirmed more coronavirus cases over the weekend. At least five airports are screening for the virus, and local health agencies around the nation are creating response plans. What do you need to know about the coronavirus outbreak? How concerned should we be? Your questions to the experts next time on 1A. Join us for 1A this morning at 10 right here on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Support for GPB programs comes from our listeners and Columbus's River Center for the Performing Arts presenting the national tour of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cats with all new lighting and choreography. Winner of seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical, February 11th and 12th, rivercenter.org.
and the University of Georgia's Master of Social Work online program providing flexibility for adult professionals seeking to advance their career in the field of social work. More information at online.uga.edu msw. Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Uh, you just heard our conversation with Derek Schiller and Steve Coonan of the Atlanta Hawks and the Atlanta Braves. I really want to emphasize one more time that uh, we wanted to give uh, these two uh, sports, professional sports leaders who are part of that coalition of the four uh, professional sports franchises, the Braves, the Falcons, uh, the Hawks, and Atlanta United, who are all coming together to support uh, sports betting, we wanted to give them a chance to make their case today. Uh, Sam Bermas-Dawes has been following comments on our Facebook Live page, and there are a great many of you out there who really don't agree that we should have sports betting. You, you feel it might bring a bad element into the state. So I want to make it clear that in the weeks ahead, as we cover this, you're going to hear uh, plenty from the opponents of this, but we did think it was worth giving them a chance to explain their case for sports betting. Um, so we'll see how that turns out. Among other things, the as we said in the interview, the uh, uh, Faith and Freedom Coalition is adamantly opposed to this, as are any number of other conservative organizations, religious groups, which uh, worry about gambling in the state. And, of course, sports betting will compete with people who uh, want paramutual wagering, horse racing, and those who want casinos uh, to be established in at least uh, several cities in Georgia. So we're going to see how all of that plays out in the uh, weeks ahead and the months ahead, really. All right, so um, we're... uh, Getting to be a little bit short on time, of course, the uh, second day of the defense argument, actually the third and final day of the defense arguments uh, uh, in favor of President Trump trying to protect him against conviction by the Senate will start at one o'clock this afternoon. Uh, The schedule as it's now shaping up looks like this. The defense team, although they have a lot of hours left in their presentation, have made it pretty clear they're not going to take all of their time the way that the House managers did. Um, They want to wrap up sometime this evening. We should then go tomorrow to uh, 16 hours set aside for questions from senators. Uh, Senators will be able to submit written questions. They'll be read by the chief justice and uh, um, the House impeachment managers, the president's defense lawyers will respond to those questions. That 16 hours plays out perhaps over two days. It means that at the end of the week, we could get this crucial vote on whether or not to allow witnesses. And the John Bolton revelation that he says uh, he heard Trump, Trump directly told him it was, in fact, an effort, uh, uh, his effort to uh, withhold aid in exchange for the Ukrainians uh, going after Hunter and Joe Biden uh, is going to make that vote particularly interesting. We'll be following all that and all the news in state and local government in the days ahead. In the meantime, thanks for being with us today. I'm Bill Nygut. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9.